tuned into Thursday Night Talk tonight. Lorna Bryant is our host. As always, we welcome your contributions. Give us a call at 826-4805. If you're out of the area, toll free at 800-640-5911 and to our text line at 492-KHSU. Thank you and welcome to Thursday Night Talk, The Race Beat, a place for in-depth discussions about race, culture, and identity. Through these discussions and conversations and understanding, we'll discover our differences really aren't so different. Tonight's discussion is centered around women in positions in power and leadership. My guests include two women in leadership roles here at Humboldt State University. Christine Mata, Associate Dean of Students, and Dr. Cheryl Johnson, the Executive Director of the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. As women of color, we will discuss how sexism, feminism, and ageism, and a little bit of racism as well, may intersect or collide while holding leadership positions. Christine, welcome. Thank you. And Dr. Johnson, welcome. Thank you. So let's start uh, with the origins of sexism, um, the background as we know it. I, I, I will admit um, this is something that I've lived, endured as a woman, as a woman of color, but I've never really thought about it um, in this form. So let's let's unpackage or, or discuss the definition of fe- feminism or sexism. I'll start with you, Dr. Johnson. I was going to ask you to start with Christine. <laughs> <laughs> you know you. <laughs> I mean, I don't know uh, if I can give you like a a succinct definition, but um, sexism is definitely something that as a woman of color, especially a a Latinx woman, a Chicana, um, growing up um, in a traditional Mexican-American family, I've lived. um, Gender is something that is strong. Um, You know, the the whole term machismo, um, Mm -hmm. where, where, you know, men and boys get preferential treatment, and it it is very um, uh, visible, uh, the differences between how young women get treated and the expectations around that versus how young men and boys get treated and the expectations around that. And so that's been a journey for me as far as um, unpacking that, um, because it's it's there from the moment you're born. And I'm not saying that all um, Latinx families or Mexican-American families have the same dynamics, but it's something that was common in mine um, and in my community. So now as a professional, um, as a, in a leadership position, sometimes I still feel that um, struggle in, in an internal fashion for me. Mm-hmm. I think I can <clears throat> relate to that as well. I wasn't raised in the South, but I was born in the South and raised by a Southern mother and and father. Uh, They were part of the Great Migration, so they had college educations and we left when I was around three years old. But they were influenced by that. And I I think it's also, it was a carryover from slavery to protect Mm -hmm. the boys, hold them up. So there was still that same kind of thing where boys were, you know, you know, endeared Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, girls took care of everything. Right. And, you know, and you see sort of these different markers too in history. I mean, I think sexism has been around, I mean, as as long as we've been around Mm -hmm. human beings, but, you know, you can see these markers where, um, 
you know, the Black Panthers was mainly black women were doing mm -hmm. and leading in that. But yet the men, they let the men be out front and, and get, you know, an, anointed with the leadership role. And we think of the men when really a, a lot of the black women did all the all the hard work behind the scenes. <laughs> we see that with the blockbuster film right mm -hmm. now, yeah. the movie Black yeah. Panther. Uh, the Black Panther is a man, but all of his warriors women mm -hmm. so, i think Christine? that i can echo that especially in the the uh, move the 1960 civil rights movement for um for chicanos um who you think of especially in the 80s and 90s until we started unpacking the sexism in that piece were men mm -hmm. who led the movement but now you have um leaders like dolores huerta who who you hear of more and who Absolutely. are very who are much more visible for me you know being in high school in the 90s i only learned of strong men in those movements mm -hmm. and I've noticed in the 2000s up until now women started to become more visible in those movements and it's it's a strong message to young women especially young women in brown communities saying you can lead these movements too and so I feel like um, although you know we still live in um, a, a sexist environment um, these narratives are starting to come to light and I feel like there's something trying to change mm -hmm. and I right. feel like something's trying to move um, with our culture is very slow still I think there something about the youth of today um, they are not being pinned down by labels so gender and culture those are all labels they just wipe away and I think because they are not focused on 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 roles traditional roles that we have seen in generations previous that they are not um, tied into those const uh, constraints in yeah, the way I think we they have. embrace the intersectionality mm -hmm. of those things and and they're letting that empower them versus I've got to be either woman I've got to be either black or I have to be either this, but they embrace the intersectionality of it. You know, that nothing is a monolith. We are all multidimensional, multilayered, and many things, you know? Right, right. You know, something you said, Dr. Johnson, about um, not being born in the South, but um, being raised by Southern parents, that's almost the parallel of my upbringing, with the exception of uh, my family was working class. So my, my mother left uh, Mississippi as a child. Um, a, she was a teenager, but my father was already fighting in World War II over in Europe. Um, but they uh, were in the same way part of the Great Migration, and then they came to, to California. But one thing I think about in terms of sexism and how that played out in the black family structure in my upbringing, the father always had a woman on the side, on the other side of town, and it was not discussed, but it was just kind of understood and accepted. And as long as the husband brought money home or his paycheck home and took care of the family, it was, it was understood and tolerated mm. or accepted. And I think that plays a big role in, in, uh, in some of the sexism that I've seen in family structures in, gener in my generation and generations past. Would you? Well, I mean, my parent, my mother always worked. I mean, mm -hmm. she had a college degree, so she started off as a teacher, and then she moved into the Veterans Administration, where she moved into leadership role as well there. And so 
I would probably say maybe we were middle class when it meant mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. back then. Um, you know, but I can remember being, a, 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 my mother would have never put up with that because she, number one, had her own money. You know, <laughs> so, that's right. You know, she didn't have to worry. She didn't have to keep her man in order yeah. to support herself. But also, I can remember though, where I would see sexism play out. I would. I was like ten, maybe eleven, maybe middle school age when you you got you were quite mouthy. You know, <laughs> and she would come in from work. My dad would sit out in the living room or sit at the dining room table and read the paper, and she would start getting dinner together. And I remember asking her, why do you have to cook? You worked all day, too. Mm -hmm. And she never really had an answer for me. She just sort of looked at me like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, I think then I was questioning gender roles yes. without even knowing why, you yes. know. And I can relate to that as well. Um, for me, my mom worked in a factory um, and she worked, you know, 16, 17, 18 hours and would come home and do things, right, around the house. My grandmother oh, just kept everything together. But yet they would defer to men for the decision-making. But the work, the labor that was being done behind the scenes were women. Done by the women. Yep. Absolutely. And the heavy lifting, mm -hmm. right? But yeah. the men get, uh, got to enjoy the decision-making process and giving the last word. And so growing up, I questioned that too. And I'm not sure if it was because um, I, my identity as a queer woman of color was starting to kind of develop. Um, and so I started kind of thinking a little bit outside of the box and asking different questions. But that collision between my, my queer identity, my questioning gender roles, and what was being played out in front of me meant that was trouble, right? Oh. And so I wasn't I wasn't this this critical thinker. I was trouble, right? And that Same had, here. Yeah, that Same had to be here. suppressed mm -hmm. in the family. Mm -hmm. ah. Same here. And I think I think that's been part of my um, personal development, professional developmental trajectory. Is you know. Uh, shedding that 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 projection you know that mm -hmm. that I can be a leader I can be a woman of color and I'm not trouble mm -hmm. right right you know I I bring value I bring vision I bring creativity I don't bring trouble and, and you mentioned the term earlier um, black feminist uh, in terms of black feminist theory um, the differentiating between being a strong black woman versus being an angry black woman and that kind of goes to that trouble um, yeah yeah thing. yeah and it's 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 a real balance that you have to have because you 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 get in a position of leadership because you get things done you know <laughs> yeah. and you and you can lead you right. know and you have to be strong i think to lead because it comes with hard decisions mm -hmm. absolutely and so that balancing act is you know get a, a stereotypical projection thrown at you which is really meant to disempower you mm -hmm. so you have to figure out how to balance that stay authentic to yourself and i think women and w women but women of color in particularly are constantly shifting and shuffling that and ba that balancing act right yeah so christine i'm going to ask you this question um it was recently sometimes I'm so oblivious to, to things, especially from my childhood. And then when it's brought to my attention, I go, huh, never yeah. thought of it that way. And it was recently brought to my attention in a conversation with friends 
about uh, gender roles and how they're portrayed, even at Toys or Us. How there was the pink section mm-hmm. with all of the dolls and the blue section with the Tonka toys. And, and how, how did that play out as you were discovering um, or embracing your identity growing up? I think, for, you know, my mom still tells me these stories from preschool when at that time, um, they would separate the boys and the girls, and the, the girls would have, you know, be inside playing with the kitchen, and the boys would be outside having fun, mm. right? And so, um, you know, from the moment that we're born, we're gendered, right? From mm-hmm. the moment mm-hmm. we're born, we are assigned clothing, we are assigned names, we are colors. assigned expectation right. and mm-hmm. colors and mm-hmm. all of these things. And so very early, I started breaking out of that. And so I didn't want to be playing house. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go out with the boys and, mm-hmm. you know, almost that there, there was a punishment to that. And so that's... Don't be a tomboy. Exactly. And so what, is that, what did that do? That fed my curiosity. So I became a tomboy. But because I didn't try to adhere to these expectations that were set before me, again, I was trouble. But I also had to justify and I also had to... There was something... Something like that, especially at an adolescent age, could either squash your self-esteem and you can never come back from it or you rebound mm-hmm. and you find worth in who you are. And, it, and, and you actually embrace the fact that you're not thinking inside of the box, right? Mm-hmm. The societal box, because, I mean, at one, at one point, these colors, you know, pink was meant for for young men in the early 19 in the early 20th century so that's a historical thing so these meanings we give to it right and 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 so it's not something that is right or wrong society you know changes our expectations change and our assigning labels to different things change and so for me it was always breaking out of that but when um i was trying to um work with what I had, right? Um, I also had to really pay attention, and this didn't happen until I was older after high school, find a sense of self-worth in not fitting inside of these gender boxes. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it, 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 and it plays out now, you know, um, wh- how you show up to work, how you show up professionally, <laughs> um, what type of clothing you wear, um, you know, are, are you wearing a skirt? Do you look feminine enough or not? I mean, I've actually had employers tell me um, that they've given me work because I, I I'm not I'm not as feminine and I can take the work. What? Yep. Mm. And so that 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 how that's how it that's that's the um, projection in the workplace. That's a, an example of how work is assigned wow. to women based on femininity or masculinity. Mm-hmm. And there's actually scholarly articles around that. I think Kimberly Crenshaw, she yes. she did work around intersectionality. She talks about um, how women that are very dark um, are seen as more masculine mm-hmm. and they get in the work environment the harder jobs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whereas women who are lighter um, tend to get um, e- the easier assignments. So, and that's when you yeah. bring in sort of the colorism, right? right. And, Absolutely. And, you know, and that how we define femininity in Western society, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and the, the the sort of lighter you go to the to the sort of European idea of beauty, the more feminine, the more docile that, right. that a woman is perceived. You know, you uh, you talked uh, just mentioned European view, in this Western view, and all of the labels that we put on ourselves, 
pink girl, blue boy. What other cultures, if I remember in some cultures and some languages, there isn't a word for uh, female or male, especially Mm -hmm. around uh, birth area. Do you have any idea? I can't can't remember what culture or... I've heard of that. I, I can't think I of the too, name. But, yeah. um, but I think it's it's uh, it's in man, it's in human nature to need to categorize and organize that the, the brain needs that. But I think, you know, as thinking beings, mm-hmm. you have to always question and be looking at the the labels that are trying to be assigned to you you know um my my undergraduate training is in broadcast journalism and i wanted to be a news anchor and all that stuff so Mm -hmm. back in not not that long ago but (laughs) back in the day um you were trained to speak with authority because you you know you remember the whole you know huntley brinkley and max (laughs) robertson they all spoke you know like with authority have a good evening right and that's that's how i was trained and often my speaking with authority to staff you know and and throughout my career um, sometimes that's been taken as uh, aggressive Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. not assertive because Mm -hmm. the the label or assignment you know i'm supposed to be nice and 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 not upset the you know not upset Mm -hmm. people (laughs) yeah soft-spoken right you know and and i'm not you know i you know and it's not that i'm i speak with authority and and that part of it is training that i've had too but but um you know having confidence and competence is also something too that Mm -hmm. seems to be not that doesn't belong in the pink box either right. you know so but there's also a sense of fear that plays out in the work environment with somebody who speaks with authority um, I project very loudly when I speak and so when I'm in a meeting with most likely white folks um, and I do speak with authority but I have volume mm-hmm. I've gotten people shrieking back and actually backing off from me of me because uh i'm perceived as either aggressive or scary Mm -hmm. now because Mm -hmm. i'm you know i'm dark complected i'm coming in i'm speaking with authority but i'm also projecting very loudly um and i think the projection uh, projecting loudly doesn't come from me wanting to yell at anybody but over time you've you've had to make space for yourself in conversations you've kind of had to project loudly otherwise you wouldn't be heard and so that's my history right i know what's going on and why i do what i do but these folks have no idea who i am they just see this Mm -hmm. brown Mm -hmm. girl sitting there speaking loudly and so there's a reaction to that confidence and to that authority that is very different from others and so what do you do when when you experience this going on do you call it out you do keep ignoring or do you keep going i usually call it out Mm -hmm. now um when i was a younger professional i I would just let it go because i didn't know how to handle those dynamics right Mm -hmm. but now i've learned um to say you know i may be speaking loudly i'm not yelling i'm not angry this is just how I project. Right. So, you know, if we can move on with the conversation, let's move on with the conversation. I'm not angry again. <laughs> and so I feel like that kind of alleviates some tension, mm-hmm. but you can still feel that people are tense. And so, and, and still, still really, in some ways, you're still caretaking. We're still nurturers. We're still we're, nurturing. We're nurturing yeah. as women. Yeah. 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 So, and it's, that's a really interesting point because the nurturer piece, I mean, we've seen that happen. I mean, Absolutely. Cheryl, you've seen your mom work, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And she comes home, she's a nurturer, right? Yeah. Your mom yeah. was a nurturer. My mom was a nurturer. When I move into a professional role, what I've noticed is that women 
of all you know backgrounds are usually the nurturers doing the heavy lifting huh. and and it, it's an interesting thing and class kind of plays into this because how um, class is class plays into how we view labor and so if you so I come from a working class background and to actually be a white collar to be in a white collar career to me was a little shocking because I didn't see it as real labor as real work real work to me was working 16 17 20 hours a day coming mm-hmm. home exhausted mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not sitting behind a desk thinking through these complex issues right wow. and so how you view labor in the work environment I think has there, there's a connection to class at and, some point and you see and I always um, what I prob- I think I've always been a little bit ahead of things because I grew up seeing a father get up put on a suit every day mm-hmm. and a mother dressed up so to me I felt just as entitled as the white people <laughs> at, <laughs> at corporate America or at that job, you know, that I that I belonged there, you know, and you know, I had to I had different moments of awakeness where I was where I started understanding, no, they don't think you belong here and they don't think you're entitled to be here, but but I grew up seeing professional parents and it is a class thing. It's a class thing. And I that, you know, I would have never yeah. wanted to work 16 hours exactly. a day doing I, any I kind of do that. labor. Yeah. Yeah. And I commend yeah. folks that do that, yeah. and I admire yeah. them greatly. Um, but it's the opposite for yeah. me, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I It took me a while to understand I am, I, I do belong here. Yeah. This is work, yeah. and I will fight for my place at the table. And that took a little bit longer. I didn't have that. I had to kind of come into my own a little later because of all of that class baggage mm-hmm. and gender baggage mm-hmm. that I have. Yeah, <laughs> I was... Um, on Thursday Night Talk two weeks ago, and I um, quoted Shirley Chisholm. It's so appropriate here. (laughs) Um, If they don't invite you to the table, Mm -hmm. you bring your own folding chair. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just having this conversation right now, I am realizing my upbringing and how it played a role. Um, I didn't have traditional parents. My father was retired by the time I was like four or five years old. Um, So I had a retired dad who stopped, you know, he wasn't working any longer. Um, And my mom was a housewife. So my mom, because she felt no one could clean the way she could and no one treated her kitchen the way anyone, you're not allowed in the kitchen. So I'm going to do everything. I'm going to cook. I'm going to serve you. And it it was a control thing. It Mm -hmm. wasn't, I, I don't, think I recognized it as a gender role thing. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm learning and coming into my own, even, you know, nearing 50, I'm coming into my own and establishing my my place. That's why, um, Dr. Johnson, in a previous conversation, I, I said to you, I didn't think of myself as a feminist. I think I, I wave my pro-black flag mm-hmm. higher than a feminist flag. And what was your response to that? I said I have both flags in my hand. (laughs) (laughs) Waving them and that that I couldn't separate those things, you know, because, um, you know, I'm very independent. I'm, you know, had many different careers. I've been in corporate America. You know, I can remember being at Blue Cross Blue Shield in Chicago and it was in the Illinois Towers, these big buildings on uh, Michigan Avenue. And corporate training and development was on like the 17th floor. And it was like a 26-story building or something mm-hmm. downtown. And the higher I went up on the elevator, the more the, the whiter it got, you know. 
<laughs> to where I, by the time I got to the 16th floor, I was the only one stepping off and, and going into the corporate training development department. So I've always um, been often the only one, the mm-hmm. first, you know. And so I've had to have a feminist outlook to feel not only that that African-American or that black outlook, but that feminist outlook like that I'm equal and I belong here. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the with the guys, I have to even be better, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, because I'm here with these men. Particularly when I worked for Sun Microsystems. Yeah. I oh, think that's yeah. that the difficulty is the better. Yeah, having these high standards for yourself and for for others around you, right? Um, but it doesn't matter how much better you are, you're not going to get the credit that you deserve. No, no, and that's the hard part. Well, I've I've sort of made peace with that I think I used to I'd probably say more in my 30s early 40s I used to come in just gangbusters because the competency thing would kick in I mm-hmm. got to show them mm-hmm. I, that I belong here I'm competent I can do it and I used to kill myself and then resent the work environment yeah. you know <laughs> I'm so, working twice as hard as yeah everyone else. so now you know Number one, that's why I only go where I want. I really want to be and where I'm going to love a job. So, so I know that if I'm working hard, it's because I have passion and I love the job, not that I'm trying to prove something. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's you said it well, and I think what I would add to that is that you know you're busting yourself, and I think I'm at a point where I'm realizing it's okay to take care of yourself. Yeah, when you're working hard. Yes, and and yes. and you shouldn't feel guilty about stepping away and putting up and boundaries. And I do that now yeah. too. Yeah, <laughs> I that, do. And that's yeah. where I'm at now yeah. is coming into that realization Self-care. and being fine with that mm-hmm. and not feeling guilty yeah. with, about yeah. that. Yeah. Right. If you're just tuning in, this is Thursday Night Talk, the Race Beat. I am Lorna Bryant, and with me today, uh, discussing uh, feminism and sexism and racism and all of those other isms and how they may intersect. Uh, Christine Mata, Associate Dean of Students, and Dr. Cheryl Johnson, Executive Director of the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion here at Humboldt State. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, feel free to call 826-4805, toll-free 800-640-5911, or you can text a question or a comment. 707-492-5478. So this question uh, goes to both both of you, Christine and Dr. Johnson. How has um, sexism and feminism, or let's just focus on sexism right now. How has it uh, manifested in your professional and personal worlds? And how have you countered them or counseled other women who may face it? I think sometimes, uh, especially when I when I first started working, um, you know, sometimes we don't have the language for things that happen to us. We just kind of know there's something wrong. Mm. And I think I, you know, taking it upon myself to really know how to call things out and knowing what to name them and when, mm-hmm. especially in a professional environment. I mean, I've had uh, instances where I'm in a meeting with um, folks that are managing me or managing the folks that managing me that are managing me and something happens right and I think I used to be more like a pistol then where I would just call it out there and then I'd get in trouble I'm unprofessional and I feel like I've learned how to navigate those nuances a little bit better now and I think if when that happens I do advise especially younger professionals to pay attention to what's being said take notes if you have to provide examples 
mm. address it outside of the room if 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 if, if you can wait, right? And and if you know you're not going to be triggered, if you're not going to be angry, if I know I'm going to be angry, I'm not going to do anything because I know I'm going to say something terribly wrong <laughs> and I'm going to pay the consequences. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to learn how, for me, I need, I've need i learned how to kind of navigate the power dynamics um, that are working against me half the time. And I'm very careful and I'm very thoughtful now about how I bring these issues up or I bring a dynamic up and I try to be very clear with, with examples. I wouldn't say it works 100% because, I mean, people have their own, you know, baggage and they're very resistant to what the problem is, mm-hmm. right? It's more about identity and who you are, but it's about naming the problem, the structural problem that exists. And I think that's the tricky part is that folks tend to think um, individually and not really look at the structures in place that kind of mm-hmm. perpetuate mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. issue. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Probably... One of the things that I that I add into that, because sometimes I might, I ignore it or I say, okay, I'm going to let that pass because you get one pass. <laughs> I thought I was the only person that did that. And then, and then other times I take it up directly. And then a piece of that that's come more into my life is using a little bit of uh, humor mm-hmm. um, to uh, sort of, you know, sort of decompress or de-escalate things, and it and it helps me emotionally self-regulate. You know, because uh. I've got to protect myself. So I also advise other women. You know, like, well, what about a little humor? You know, because I think it goes a long way. Because then it helps you not take it so seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I can think if a woman cries, she's weak. If a man, uh, or or she's too emotional. If a man cries, he's weak. If a woman is assertive, she can I say the B word on on radio? Mm-hmm. Yes, especially women in HR roles. She's a bitch because she is assertive. Mm-hmm. No, she is in a job and she's doing it. And it's and it's really meant that whole vernacular around that it's it's meant to disempower the the woman you know absolutely to mute you to disempower you so you second guess yourself so you so you try to you know be softer you know so you don't offend people you know and it's it but it and it's a it's a it's a it's a real incongruent contradiction mm-hmm. because you're there because they want you to be in charge and lead. And this is what's kind of crazy making, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're, you have to do that, but you got to do it in some kind of way that is okay with everybody. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we're in a, uh, an interesting place right now. You have the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Um how the movie industry and how the treatment of women in in the entertainment industry and finally women are saying no more Harvey Weinstein's in my life you cannot treat me a certain way because you are a man and because I'm a a, a woman uh, we are in a movement or in in a time where um, women are are speaking up. Women are in leadership positions, uh, as in uh, both of you, and times are changing. But at the same time, we have uh, the political structure as it is now. We have our current um, our current uh, presidential administration, and we see 
all of the rampant sexism that's going on right here, you know, in well, our Well, the first president mm-hmm. that's a woman, and, you know, the universities was founded in 1913, you know? Ah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and this is the first female president. Well, you know, let's talk about that for a little bit. Um, our president at the university, President Lisa Rosbacher, has been scrutinized um, several times um, over the course of her uh, career. I mean, over the course of her time here. But, and, and, and I, I won't put, both of you, I'm assuming, are on the academic senate and you have different roles. So I'm not going to put you in an awkward position. But if you have a cabinet or you have um, leaders within the university, you have the president, you have vice presidents, provosts, all of these roles... How has the cabinet or the university supported this first female president um, here? Uh, it, it it doesn't look like you know she's taking uh, the the um, she's taking the hits for uh, issues that have gone on for years and now she's responsible for it it's it's kind of like um in a presidency but i but i don't that's that's i think that's what we've been talking about too for women of color and and women mm-hmm. um you know there's different experiences for white women mm-hmm. and and women of color but but we share you know that there's a different criteria for us right mm-hmm. right and right. there just is right. you know and that different criteria is to disempower discredit and maybe try to stop it from happening again. Right. You know, if 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 we can create a narrative that that hiring a female president has been a mistake or a failure, mm-hmm. then maybe we can institutionally and structurally, and I'm talking mm. about the system, mm-hmm. stop it from happening again. Right. Right. You know. Right. So I, I I think it's it's we're held to a different yardstick. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. I think it it it. It's it's psychologically and emotionally taxing, Absolutely. you know. But you know we're strong and mm-hmm. uh, we keep moving, we keep going, Absolutely. we keep leading. Mm-hmm. So, um, Arcata's mayor Sophia Pereira was scheduled to be on the show today, uh, but she is traveling and uh, did not make her connecting flight in time to arrive. But she has been uh, on city council since 2014 here in Arcata, and she was just appointed mayor Mm -hmm. um, in December, I believe. She's presided over a few meetings. The first controversial meeting to come up, uh, city council meeting, was about the McKinley statue. And she has been scrutinized for not taking control over this meeting. And I have been in city council meetings where other women have been in leadership positions, uh, the previous mayor, where the the meetings got, I won't say out of hand, but they were lively. Mm -hmm. That mayor was never scrutinized. Now you have a brand new young. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I think Uh the ageism, then then there comes in another piece, you know, not only a woman, but now she's young. Yes. So there's another criteria. She has to prove she deserves to be there because she's under 40. Mm -hmm. Right, Mm -hmm. right. 
And, and, you know, it's terrible that we are held to a different criteria because we are women, we are women of color, we are young women. Can I go continue to go down? Well, and, and it's the criteria is there to keep the marginalization in place. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, you've heard me and many people often talk about, you know, racial inequity, gender, gender inequity. They're structural and they're institutional. So these systems have to be maintained and kept in place. And so these narratives, these ways of, of uh, mm-hmm. oppressing w- women and saying, you know, you, you're not doing a good enough job. You're not a strong leader. That's really trying to disempower, mm-hmm. you know. So how do we dismantle these? And can they be dismantled in our lifetime? There was a big sigh, Christine. I would <laughs> hope that they could be dismantled, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, but I think uh, in the professional environment, I think women need to stand up for women. And mm-hmm. I think they need to support women. And um, I know I read an article, I can't recall the name, but it, it describes a tactic that females um, used in political settings where if one has an idea and it's ignored, the other will support the idea just so that it could be heard, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, coming up with a game plan when you go into meetings, how you're going to support each other, what that's going to look like. Um, You know, sometimes women throw other women under the bus for no good reason, Mm -hmm. right? Because there's a uh, Mm competitiveness there. And we can't afford to do that. I feel like women really need to um, strengthen each other, lift each other up, and and, and encourage each other to move forward um, into leadership positions as well. (sighs) In my adult professional career, I have worked in different uh, settings. I have worked with all women in an office setting. I've worked in all men and it, the dynamics are interesting where <laughs> I've faced the most difficulty and the most pushback, entry level, middle level positions from other women. From other women. <laughs> from yeah. other women. Yeah, well I mean. And we, women of color. Right, <laughs> I think even in the microaggressions training that Christine does and that we're doing on campus and we'll really be doing eventually out in the community, you can be a woman and you 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 drank the oppression Kool-Aid too. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I love that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I don't intend to drink it uh, or, or, or ish, uh, dish it out to anyone right, either. Right, right. Man. Uh, again, uh, this is Thursday Night Talk, The Race Beat. I'm your host, Lorna Bryant, along with Dr. Cheryl Johnson and Christine Mata talking about sexism. I'll just say all the isms, (laughs) how it affects women in leadership roles. Uh, Feel free to call in 826-4805 or uh, if you call toll free 800-640-5911 or you can text a question or a comment at 707 492 KHSU, that's uh, 492-5478. I was looking to see if we had a call. (laughs) Not this time. Don't be scared. (laughs) So um, how how do we deal with the intersectionality of 
all of these things we're talking about sexism feminism uh racism ageism and how 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 do we deal with that when i mean we are all women of color and i wouldn't consider myself in a leadership role i intend to make my way up there in the very near future but yeah, so it's it's a training tool for me uh, talking to the two of you right uh, now. I would <laughs> argue that you are in a leadership role doing this radio show right, right okay. now. Yeah. Right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, thank you. So uh, yeah, I I see that. I, I think just that that self worth yes. that narrative. Yes. You know that, yes. that so thank women you. have to sort of stop sort of apologizing for being who they are too. Absolutely. But I think the all these different intersectionalities, um, you can either have them fragment you as a person or let them enhance or inform an emergent self Mm -hmm. and that's what I do these are all parts of me that allow me to emerge and be authentic and and be who I am and to sort of be woke and be noticing Mm -hmm. when things are shifting and does it feel okay in my body and, Mm -hmm. and, and everything that that this is shifting more to this way or that way and, 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 you know, and finding sort of uh, finding the balance. And, and as long as I can be authentic, I'm okay. I agree with and that 100%. That is where I am growing. I agree with that as it's well. It's not an easy process, <laughs> It's though. not an You easy make process. it seem so seamless, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it, Well, it's, it's only tiring. taking me to middle age <laughs> to, figure, to figure it out. But it, it is actually quite exhausting. Yeah. It yeah. is quite exhausting. And I see, that's the point, is the, the, the exhausting part, right, especially in the professional environment. When you look at studies, women of color tend to, you know, kind of get stuck at that mid-level. And when you talk to women of color, it's mostly because we're tired. Hmm. We don't want that additional responsibility because when you're in charge, you're in charge of everything. And the higher you go, the wider it gets, the more male it gets. Mm -hmm. And so that in itself is a little scary uh, for folks. Yeah, and I think... The exhaustion comes from being a fragmented self. Absolutely. Mm. And if and if you can and if you can say all of these different parts of me come together as a whole and I become an emergent self and mm-hmm. and these things empower me. Mm-hmm. They don't disempower me or annihilate me or destroy me, but they they are part of me and allow me to you know, walk this world, you right, know? Right, You know, Christine, I was afraid of what you were about to say. I was assuming you were going to talk about health because women in leadership roles, you know, uh, women of color in particular, their uh, incidence of, of uh, heart attacks and high blood pressure and all of these things with the stress that come on with the workplace, the home place. I was sure that was the direction you were going. I was thinking about that. And I think in the microaggression training that we do, we talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. Microaggressions aren't, it's not a new concept. It's something that's been around since the late 60s. Right. Um, so that, that we unpack that in that training. Mm-hmm. I won't unpack it now, but it does affect um, health. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So when you have a lifetime of trying to find this emergent self, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. there's a toll that that takes, mm-hmm. um, you know, the nuances and the hidden messages that you internalize as a child, mm. that you internalize as a teenager, mm-hmm. as a young adult. And then when you go in, get into middle age, it takes a physical and mental toll and the exhaustion. That's part of the exhaustion, too. Mm-hmm. So Cheryl framed it in a very empowering way. But there's also another side to that. When you to get to that, there there are repercussions and 
there are consequences, health consequences to pay. And so the exhaustion is not only it has a lot to do with, you know, I have high blood pressure. I have um, I have anxiety every time I'm in a room full of, you know, folks in power. And there are reasons for that, mm-hmm. you know, all the baggage that comes along mm-hmm. with that. And I have to keep moving, even though my chest may hurt and my arm is numb. I have to keep moving and I have to keep working because if I don't, I'm weak. How is that fair? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, that whole idea of being the strong black woman, right? Mm. Yeah. And it's not a positive thing. No, no. Uh, there's strength in being vulnerable. That's really the, mo- the strongest you can be is to allow yourself to be vulnerable. But I wanted to go back to the health part. It, there's even public health research that talks about weathering. Mm. on um, people of color, racism, and the microaggressions, that it's a weathering. And the weathering is really like the diabetes, the hypertension, the diff, you know, the heart stuff because of just the, the constant stress. Let's add mental health. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, especially um, among uh, people of color, women of color. Well, people of color. We don't want to talk about mental health and we're, we're getting better at it now, but no, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't need to talk to anyone. I can handle this on my own. And Well, and, uh, you know, Bell Hooks talks about uh, in Sisters of the Yam, the book that she wrote, uh, the, the shame of being shamed mm. and, you know, that slavery and different things around the Jim Crow era. So I'm not going to let them get me. I'm not going to let them. You know, we've, you know, I'm not going to let them sit, see I'm weak and I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and we sort of, our trauma gets sort of manifested in all these other ways. Absolutely. But, you know, it's like, no, you know, and they're not going to get that too, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> Looks like we have a caller, Sam from Sunny Bray. Sam, uh, thank you for calling Thursday Night Talk the Race Beat. What is your question or comment? Yeah, I feel like I'm calling a little bit late in on the conversation because I'm loving the direction that you were just taking um, this. But I wanted to sort of double back on just sort of the feminism in general and the ways in which feminism gets portrayed in the media and um, sort of dismissed as sort of some radical fringe and Mm -hmm. the ways in which young women a lot of times these days are afraid to call themselves feminists or can't relate to it because they are identifying that term with some sort of radical fringe. And, um, you know, I, I guess I struggle with that when I talk with other women and, oh, I'm not a feminist. And, and from my point of view, it's sort of you're a feminist if, if you consider yourself a woman who has uh, equal place on the planet with, with men and with other living beings. And for me, it's as base as that. And, and I would love for you all to, to sort of take that on a little bit. Thank you very much for that call, um, Sam. Um, I, I, too, have, have struggled with that. Um, and I think because I don't consider myself I think I don't consider myself a feminist because of the radical um, view that society puts on that term you have the Rush Limbaugh's who use the term uh, feminazi or um, how it's made to be negative so I think that is part of why I didn't identify 
even though, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much a feminist. And I think some of this is comes out of um, Christine chime in if I'm if I'm kind of going off the rail here, but I think there's been a couple of generations of of women whose mothers went worked and went into the workforce and you know they were latchkey kids their mother it was you know in the 80s on it was just like women were out there in their suits and going into corporate america and many marriages ended many divorces Mm -hmm. came out of that Mm -hmm. because women found their voice their independence and said we deserve to be here in corporate america or Mm -hmm. in higher education and in administrative positions and so a, a few of those generations i feel have created a narrative that that was feminism, Mm -hmm. you know, and that it destroyed families because a lot of the younger girls, many of them want to stay at home and Mm -hmm. they want to be, they want to be wives and they want to be taken care of. And, um, you know, I can see that in my own family as well, where I mean, I grew up in the eighties and nineties yeah, and, um, I was, my frame of mind and coming into my own as a feminist was about the simple question that I would ask myself, do I want access to these things? Mm -hmm. The same access to these things that my, you know, my male counterparts um, have access to without question, I do. And that was my Mm -hmm. my barometer, that's Mm -hmm. it. That Mm -hmm. That was my measure, right? And so um, now the younger folks, the younger women in my family want to stay home, want to cook, want to take care of if they want the traditional gender roles. And there's something that changed I think with they that. think that's going to keep a marriage together. I, I, you huh. know, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. There's, and I know this is anecdotal to your listeners, and it's, it's, it's just a theory that I've been sort of developing mm-hmm. as I see a lot of the young 30-somethings, particularly where I moved from the Bay Area and Berkeley, where they've gone and they've gotten college degrees. I mean, it's at, at times, at very prestigious universities, and then they want to just marry somebody and be these sort of, it's become quite chic, you know, mm-hmm. to be, to be a, a stay-at-home uh, mom. And if a man does that, I mean, that's happening as well. If mm-hmm. a man wants to be a stay-at-home mom, or <laughs> see, I'm doing it. <laughs> that is so funny. If a man wants to be a stay-at-home dad or um, take on what we consider non-traditional, oh, he's weak, he's soft, he can't take care of his family. No, he has on has a different role. Maybe he is the nurturer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. not every mother. So I think can. I think it's you know, and maybe some of the different movements that are happening uh, across the country, the the the, the Me Too movement, and um, what's the one about time? Time's, Time's up. up. Mm-hmm. Different different movements that are happening. I think what has to happen is a new generation has to redefine the narrative of what feminism is, or being a feminist is, excuse me. Um, because to me, it's about just, you know, equal pay, equal access, you know, gender equity in these institutions and systems, pay, uh, opportunity, mm-hmm. acknowledgement, credit, you know, and, you know, and, and I'm at a point in my life where I can ask for that, you mm-hmm. know, but I think, I think we have to start redefining the narrative because I think what you're sharing is that you have it. You had a, that. It was some radical thing that you know, burning bras and 
you know, and, and mark, you know, the mm-hmm. different things yeah. like that. Rather, yeah, I look at it a little more. differently um, in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. and police brutality and the names that are actually well-known are male names. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so um, Kimberly Crenshaw, who's a legal scholar at UCLA, has a Say Her Name yeah. um, ah, a, a yes. movement. So I think that is an example of how feminism is taken outside of the home and um, that's an example of, of a woman of, of a woman of color working against the structure, right? Uh, we don't have that frame, right, to recognize women who have also fallen victims um, to police brutality, right? Mm-hmm. And, and right. that's it's even all, Black Lives Matter being getting is gendered. Yep, it's very gendered, yeah. and yes. she specifically, you know, brings she makes everyone say. Uh, these women's names so that you remember them when you leave her talk. Mm-hmm. And that's very Bland. powerful. Absolutely. Say her names. Mm-hmm. And um, Janelle Monet and um, Jadana did a song mm-hmm. called Talk. Uh, talk. It's basically a, um, a colloquialism of talking about, um, talking about, where the, the chorus of the song is... Um, Sandra Bland, say her name, say her name, say her name. So, I mean, just the power. I got. I have chills mm-hmm. right now just saying that because it is such absolutely. a powerful thing. But see, that yeah. to me is a narrative change. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So we are coming to the end of the program. I do want to end the show with a, a powerful song that resounds with me. But before we do that, I'd like to uh, I'd like to offer a little bit of time for a closing statement from both of you just about um, what we're discussing and um, maybe a, a, a few words to a young woman listening who may be entering the, the workplace or uh, entering or coming into a leadership role, just something encouraging that you may want to say to her. Support each other mm-hmm. um, and be there for each other as women. And even if it's just to have coffee and be a sounding board, that alleviates so much stress. Yes. So just be a community. Yes. I love that. And, and, know, and know you deserve to be where you're at. Absolutely. Where you're at right now, right here. You deserve to be there. Don't question it. Uh, be mindful around how to navigate the landscape, and you know, use some of the tools. Sometimes humor, sometimes direct confrontation, and not all confrontation is bad. Um, pay attention to how you feel. Mm-hmm. Your, you know, your 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 body will tell you mm-hmm. you're being mistreated or something's, you know, and you know, pay attention to that. And address it. And be resilient. It's okay. Sometimes you're going to go home feeling really bad about yourself, but it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, I don't know if those words were for the young woman listening. They were for me right now. So I thank you both. So thank you to uh, both of you for joining me tonight for this uh, very important, needed discussion, especially with this being Women's History. And thank you for the work you do. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you. So we're going to end the show with a song from the illustrious, uh, the melodic Diane Reeves singing Endangered Species. Thank you for tuning in. See you next month. I am an endangered species. But I sing no victims. 
song. I am a woman. I am an artist. And I know where my voice belongs. listening to Thursday Night Talk on KHSU. Thank you to our host, Lorna Bryant, and our guests, Christine Mata and Cheryl Johnson. We'd love to get feedback on our programs. Please email Talk at khsu.org and like our Facebook page, Thursday Night Talk on KHSU. Thanks to KHSU Thursday Night Talk producer Geraldine Goldberg. Our theme music is composed and performed by Jeff Kreider. My name is Michael. I've been your studio engineer tonight. Stay tuned to KHSU. No Room for Squares is coming up next.